Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. This is our final study, our tenth study on, uh, on the providence of God. Now, obviously, we have not covered everything that there could possibly be said about the providence of God in, uh, in these ten weeks. But uh, last week we talked, uh, <clears throat> we began to end our overall study by talking about uh, providence in terms of redemption, and we looked at the incarnation, and we saw how, how uh, God from before the foundation of the world had arranged things in such a way that uh, when he put the man and the woman in the garden, uh, he was not surprised that sin occurred, and in fact, the plan for Christ's coming already had been set in place before God even put the first star into space. And so we want to follow up on that same train of thought today, and our title for our uh, final session, again, is Providential Redemption, but it's kind of part two, because this time we talk about the cross and beyond. And that is, yes, uh, God the Father had planned to send the Son from all eternity to come and die for the sins of all of God's people. But, and, and we looked at what happened in order to bring the Son here, and we looked at what a lot of times we, we refer to as the Christmas story. But today what we want to do is we want to focus on the cross. That is, as Jesus went to the cross, what is it that he actually accomplished and how was it that God was carrying out the plan that he had designed from before the foundation of the world? You know, you and I struggle with what we're going to have for lunch some days. And we wonder, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? In fact, I had somebody call me last night and a different a person called me this morning wanting to get together and talk about some things and say, you know, can we get together at such and such a time and wanted to get together with Carol and, and me together. And, you know, I said, well, you know, I'd be glad to do that, but the first thing I've got to do is check my schedule, so I'll have to get back with you. And so, you know, because I didn't know what I was going to be doing a few days from now. But when you look at what God has done, here's God who has all of this planned before he ever put the first star into space and is organizing things in such a way. And, and as we saw last week, even when Caesar Augustus passed his decree in order that a census be taken so that he could, uh, he could uh, better uh, collect taxes to do the things that he wanted to do in his empire, that God even used that in order to bring Joseph and Mary and Jesus, who was in utero at that point, down to Bethlehem because that was the place that uh, the Messiah had to be born. So clearly we see God really in control of things. Again, I would point you to the passage in your notes there in the, in the right-hand column from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. And these are verses we looked at last week. But again, just to remind you that all of this was planned before creation. Notice what he says, what, what Peter records for us. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And remember, a lamb under the Old Testament economy was something that was used for sacrifice. So here the Messiah and the whole concept of sacrifice are linked together in, uh, in Peter's mind. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was perfect in every way. And then the next statement is the statement to which I wanted to point your attention. He was chosen, that is this Christ, this Lamb of God. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, that is in time and space, for your sake. And those are the things that we've been talking about uh, over these weeks. And remember that when we read the Old Testament, what we see is an unfolding revelation. Remember we said the first, the first mention of the gospel is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, right after the fall, where God says to the serpent, uh, there's one who is going to come along. The seed of the woman is going to crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Now, if that's the only thing we had to read in the Old Testament, we'd never figure out what that meant. But as we read through the Old Testament, it unfolds little by little that, that okay, here's the, here's the promise in germ form that someday someone is going to come who will crush the head of the serpent, will crush Satan, will overcome him. Who is that person? And as we read through the Old Testament, we discover that that person is going to come through the nation of Israel. It's going to come through the tribe of Judah. He's going to come through the family of David. He's going to be born in a place called Bethlehem. Uh, and we just begin to get more and more and more details until finally the New Testament comes along and we're uh, all of a sudden confronted with the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does the cross, what does Christ's coming and the cross have to do with all of this? Well, the place to start is the place that we usually hear about the least, and that is the desperate need that you and I have as human beings because the Bible says that we are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, you know, you say, well, does that mean that all sinners are alike? Certainly not. Uh, uh, there's some people who are real nice sinners uh, who seem to get along well with their families and, uh, and do nice things for other people. But what we discover in the Bible is the thing that we all have in common is that we all are sinners. We all have that as a problem. And I want us to explore that because that tells us why God planned uh, for Christ to come before the creation of the world. What happened in the Garden of Eden didn't catch God by surprise because he knew what the need of all of his people was going to be. And so he's made perfect provision for that. So let's begin by looking at mankind's desperate need, and we, I've, I've just put down a few verses in that right-hand column, and I want us to just read them, look at them together, and I'll make a few comments here and there, and I think it'll help us to understand a little bit better. First of all, we need to remember that all humans are sinners. I got tickled. I was in barbershop uh, just, uh, was about a week ago. It'd, been about, uh, it'd probably been about seven or eight weeks since I'd been there, and so, uh, so the, uh, the lady who cut my hair actually gave me two haircuts at one time, cut it a little shorter than I liked, 
but it was okay. I only paid her for one haircut. But the point I was making is when I went into the barber shop, uh, the guy who one of the one of the guys, in fact, the guy who owns the shop, uh, said, "Well, how are you doing today?" I said, "I'm doing much better than I deserve," which is true. What I deserve is a one-way ticket to the pit. And his response was, well, you must not think much of yourself because I really believe that I deserve much better than what I'm getting right now. And I said, well, that's because you and I view things in different ways. And that's the problem today. We tend to view ourselves through some sort of rose-colored glass but when the, when, the, when the microscope of the Bible is turned in our direction, we see a different, uh, a different picture altogether. Uh, what we discover is that we're sinners by birth, that we are sinners by nature, and that we are sinners by choice. And there are a number of verses who bring, that bring all that out, and I've just highlighted uh, a, a few of them. So I'll, I would point you again to that right-hand column uh, to the idea that we are sinners by birth. Notice what uh, David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 5. Remember, this is one of the penitential psalms that he wrote after his, uh, uh, his adulterous uh, encounter with Bathsheba and was, and was brought to repentance. He says in Psalm 51, 5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And the idea is that when he arrived on the face of the earth, he arrived with, I guess you could almost call it sinful DNA. In other words, that, that thing that had happened to Adam in the garden, that sin, that thing that had affected him so dramatically throughout his personality, every part of his being, that was, that's transferred to us. It doesn't mean that uh, that the sexual union between a husband and a wife is something sinful. It's not. That's something blessed by God. But it's the idea that when we come into the world that we're already sinners when we arrive here. And in fact, if you don't... It's hard, it's hard sometimes for me to believe that other people have a hard time believing that. Because, and one of the reasons is, you know, we, you go to the hospital and you see your son or daughter or your grandchild or whatever it is lying there in the little bassinet and you can hardly wait till they're going to take them home so you can hold them and rock them and tell them how wonderful they are and you look at them and say oh doesn't she just look like a little angel and yeah they do but beneath that face inside lies the heart of a rebel and if you just give it a little time what you'll discover is that rebel will come out because uh, you know we can teach our children all the right things and we can be as deferential to each other and try to be nice to each other but invariably there comes a point where uh, where kids will just all of a sudden just stand up and just put their hands on the hip and say no I'm not going to do that and say whoa where did that rebellion come from well that's born in there that was there from day one it's just it's just now beginning to show its head we're sinners by birth we're also sinners by nature notice the passage from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Notice, when, we're, when we come into the world, when we're born, when we, we're breathing and there's life in our bodies, the truth is that the inside of us, the soul is dead. It, and that just simply means we're separated from God. 
that we're not able to respond to God. And that's what, uh, that's what Paul is saying in this passage. He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. Gratify Notice what he says. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Now, that doesn't mean that all guys turn out to be dirty old men. And it doesn't mean that, uh, that all ladies turn out to be lecherous uh, kind of ladies. But it does mean that in our nature that, uh, again, we, we have, we're turned away from God. We're not able to respond to God. And we may not think we're as bad as somebody else, but down deep inside, the same problem is resident in all of us, and that's, uh, that's sinfulness. He goes on to say, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were, notice, by nature, by nature we were objects of wrath. We were just waiting for one day for the wrath of God to fall because it would have to, God's wrath would have to fall on us. We're also nature, uh, we're also sinners by choice. That next passage in Romans chapter 3, uh, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament, and he says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And in fact, you'll remember from our, those of you who were here when we did our study of Romans, in Romans chapter 7, one of the things that Paul laments, even as a believer, he says, the things that I said I would never do, those are the things I wind up doing. And the things that I said that I, that I really want to do, the good things, he said, I find myself not doing those things. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the truth is, is that we're all sinners. We may, you know, again, the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And I like that illustration about we all, all of us go down to the Gulf Coast and stand down there with our toes in the water and, uh, uh, at Panama City, and what we're going to do is we're going to swim down to Cuba. Well, some, some of us may be better swimmers than others. Some of us may drown before we get 100 yards out. Other people may make it several miles, but how many of us are going to make it to Cuba? Not any of us. We're not going to do it. We all fall short. Some people may do better than others, but the truth is, is that we all fall short. We've all got the same problem. And the result of that is that God has a penalty for that sin. And that penalty can be summarized by two words that I've written in your notes there. And those words are death and judgment. Now, that doesn't sound very promising. But uh, notice what this is. This is, this is the bad news. We're headed for the good news. This is the bad news. And death really takes, uh, takes three forms in the Bible. First of all, there's spiritual death. In other words, we're born that way, and that's, that relates to the passage that we were reading back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, just a few minutes ago. 
we're that by nature. When we come into the world, that's the way we are. We're spiritually dead. And remember, the, the word dead, the word death means separation. In physical death, the soul or the spirit is separated from the body. In spiritual death, the, uh, the, the person's spirit, the person himself, uh, is separated from God. There's a, there's a chasm between, the, uh, between the, the two entities. Notice what he says in, uh, in, that next, uh, in that next passage in Romans chapter, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what, uh, remember when Adam was in the garden and God said, look, you can, uh, here, here's this wonderful garden and your responsibility is to take care of it, to till it. You know, you get to name all the animals, you get to do all this stuff. This is a great place to live. However, there is one tree right in the middle of the garden, uh, and I don't want you to have anything to do with that. You know, you can eat from any of these other trees and eat as much as you want to, but there's one, tr there's one tree in the middle. Its fruit is forbidden to you. You can't, uh, you can't have that. And, of course, remember that, that the woman was deceived and the man went into it, Adam went into it with his eyes wide open. They both sinned against God. And God had told him, he, he told Adam, he said, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die that day. Now, Adam, we know, did eat of the fruit. Did Adam die physically that day? No, he didn't. What he died was spiritually. Now, about 900 plus years later, he did die physically. And that's been the, uh, that's been the case for, uh, for us all. That's... That's what, that's what happens to, to all of us. There's also an eternal death, and I, and I was alluding to that a little bit earlier. Look at that passage from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and following. And this has to do with, uh, at the time of, just, just at the time when the judgment's about to take place, but it, uh, it has to do with this whole idea of separation because it's part of the judgment. In verse 31 of Matthew 25, it says, When the Son of Man... Now, who's the Son of Man? That's Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him... Now, this is, this is, this is at the end of the deal right here. He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Remember what, what uh, the way the, uh, that Jesus painted that picture? Here's, uh, here's, uh, here's Jesus uh, on his throne, and it says all these folks are gathered around here in front of him, all around like this. And one of the things that he does is that he separates them, and he separates them into, uh, into two groups. And uh, if, if Jesus is here and he's facing out this way, then these would be the ones on the right, his right, and these would be the ones on his left. And the ones on his right, he separates them. And the ones on his right are called sheep. And the ones on his left are called the goats. And remember, God doesn't turn goats into sheep. They're just two kinds of sheep. They're lost sheep and they're found sheep. And notice what he says to them, because this is a significant statement. <laughs> then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you when? Since the creation of the world. Notice that, again, just as the Lord Jesus, the plan was for the Lord Jesus to come, and that was formulated before God ever put the first star into space. Think about it. God also, in that plan, formulated the fact that all of his people would have an inheritance, the inheritance of the Lord himself. He goes on to say, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, those are the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice, again, there's a separation, and this is an eternal separation. Uh, nothing will ever bring these folks back again. And that's, a, that's, what, that's what awaits people who don't, know, uh, who don't know Christ. And in fact, notice the passage from chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And this is from the New American Standard Version, which is really a little better translation of that verse, where the writer says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, notice there's no such thing as reincarnation, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, comes judgment and there's this great separation well what is the basis of this separation well the sheep are the people who know christ and the goats are the people who do not and this so 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 what is what what's our desperate need well we're all sinners and because we're sinners we face both death and we face judgment now the good news is that in christ remember from our study of chapter romans uh from our study of romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, the same word that's translated condemnation can also be translated judgment. There is therefore now no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, because the judgment that was due the people of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus, and that's where we're headed in our study. But before we get there, just one or two little final thoughts about this, and that is, thirdly, not only are all human sinners, not only is there a penalty for sin, death, and judgment, but also none of us as sinners are able to, uh, to redeem ourselves. There's nothing we can do. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Uh, God's demands are inexorable. That is, he's not going to change his demands. He's not going to diminish his demands in any way because God is holy. God is perfect. God has certain requirements, and he can't be God and, and welch on any of those requirements. Just a couple of them. Look at, uh, look at that passage from Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And then the next verse, verse 48, says, and Jesus is speaking in this passage. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in that day, when people looked at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they thought, man alive. Now, here are folks who keep the rules and regulations stringently. And yet Jesus says, if your righteousness isn't better than theirs, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 48, he says, be perfect, therefore. 
just as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, God is holy. He demands holiness. He demands perfection. He demands perfect righteousness. How well can I provide that? I can't provide it at all. I don't, I'm not capable of doing that. Not only am I not capable of doing that, I'm not willing to do that. Notice the, uh, the passage from John chapter 1, verse 11, where it says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Notice, Jesus was the creator, and yet when he came, what did his creation do? His creation rejected him. He said, we don't want anything to do with you. Why, why is that? Look at those last two little uh, passages there on page one of your notes. It says, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to law, God's law. Not only does it not submit, but look at the last phrase, nor can it do so. In other words, there is a spiritual inability. That's what sin does to us. We become slaves of sin, and we are unable to help ourselves. Not that we are unable, we are also unwilling. Notice the next passage from 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him, and he cannot. Notice again the inability. He cannot understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Well, why can't he understand them? Because they're spiritually discerned. Well, what's his, uh, what is his present situation spiritually? The Bible said he's dead in trespasses and sins. So to summarize, we're in a mess apart from being in relationship with Christ. We're sinners by, by birth. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. There's a penalty for that sin that includes death, separation from God. It includes judgment, separated from God forever. And there is no way that we can get God to lower the bar so that we could get over it. And there is absolutely no way that we can meet the demands of God. And in fact, if we thought we could, we're not even willing to do that. So we are in a mess. Well, now we come to the good news, which is on the flip side of your notes. And that is God's perfect provision. And that's where we've been headed all this time. See, we, it's hard for us to appreciate what God has provided for us if we don't begin to understand, at least to some extent, the condition that we were in. You know, if, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's like when our children are small and they don't, uh, they don't really have an appreciation for the fact that we're providing their clothing and their shelter and their food and providing everything that they need. And uh, unless we teach our children, our children don't learn to grow up saying thank you. We, they just sort of take it for granted that that's the way it is. Well, God, one of the things about the great provision that God has made is that we appreciate it more when we begin to see the desperateness of our situation that we were in apart from our relationship with Christ. And when we begin to see that and we say, my goodness, what a mess I was in. And God had no reason at all to reach out and to extricate me from the sin in which I was involved. It really makes us, at least it makes me, 
rejoice in his great salvation. And that's what I want us to look at, God's perfect provision. And I want us to look at just uh, uh, four or five little things here rather quickly. First of all, that God's provision was just exactly at the perfect time. It was the perfect person who came to do the provision. It was exactly the perfect remedy that you and I needed as sinners. The perfect result came from what Christ did when he went to the cross. And then there is a perfect response that flowed out of that. So let's look at that. The perfect time. Notice that passage from Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And the the literal translation is the adoption. That is that God would begin to treat us as his sons and daughters with rights and privileges and responsibilities as well. When the time had fully come, just exactly at the right time, when had God planned all this? Before he put the first star into space. But there was a particular time in history in which God said, now's the time. And all of a sudden, the second person of the Godhead, the Son, stepped out of eternity and stepped into time and space and took on our humanity in order to come to be able to die for the sins of his people. Notice Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, where Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice, we were powerless. Why were we powerless? Because we were slaves to sin. We couldn't help ourselves and didn't want to help ourselves. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. And what he's saying there is, you know, nobody's going to die for a scribe or a Pharisee. Nobody cares about the preacher. Uh, don't worry about jumping out in front of a truck for him. But if there's somebody really doing nice things for people, you know, we might consider laying down our life for that person. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was the perfect time. And he, Christ Jesus, is the perfect person. Notice the passage from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. Now, we needed a real special kind of person to be our Redeemer. Now, we've already seen that you and I couldn't, couldn't pay for our own sin. And the reason for that, the reason that you and I couldn't offer a sacrifice for our own sin is that the sacrifice that had to be offered for sin had to be perfect and unblemished. So why does that leave us out? We don't fit any of that criteria. That's right. That, you know, anything that I do, even with, the, even with the most pristine motives in mind, anything that I touch, because I'm a human being, is going to be tainted by sin in some way. And so it would be unacceptable to God. So what did God do? Well, God is going to redeem his, his people, the sheep that we read about in Matthew chapter 25. So what does he have to do to do that? Well, in order to have a sacrifice that corresponds to that, the sacrifice is going to have to be a human being. Remember the Old Testament sacrifices, and we'll see this in just a moment. They, They made a person ceremonially clean, but they didn't cleanse the conscience. And what was needed 
was a person, but it had to be a very special person. It had to be a person who was perfect and unblemished in every way. And the whole entire human race was tainted by sin, so what does God do? God comes himself in the form of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Christ comes, we see him, he is fully human, and yet at the same time, he is fully God. All he did when he came and took on human flesh was that he laid aside for a, for a time his prerogatives as deity. Remember, he, he said over and over, especially you read it in the book of John, he said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Well, let's see what the writer of Hebrews says about him because this, uh, this really illustrates what we're talking about. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, the verse begins by talking about in the Old Testament, uh, God spoke in uh, sort of, and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but kind of piecemeal. He spoke through prophets, and he spoke this way, and he spoke this. There were a number of ways that God communicated to his people. But he says, in these last days, God has spoken to us, and that phrase, has spoken, is a perfect tense verb that means God has said what he had to say, and he said it all when he said it. God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. That tells us right there who's the, who's the creator. The Lord Jesus was the creator. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Those are all qualities of deity right there. That's who the Lord Jesus is. He is God who has come in the flesh. That's what we were talking about last week in incarnation. And notice what it says. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down. And again, this is a real contrast with the old Levitical priesthood because remember, they were constantly offering up sacrifices. And I mean the next time somebody would come up, about the time they were getting through and they said, man, I'm about worn out sacrificing all these animals. That's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when, am I, when are we going to get a lunch break here? And then next thing you know, uh, Zechariah and his family were coming up and they had animals that they wanted to offer up. There was never a chance to, to rest. It was never over. The sin problem was just uh, was never put away. They were just made ceremonially clean. But you, when you contrast the Lord Jesus, it says after purifying, after making the purification for sins, what did he do? He sat down. Why did he sit? Because his work was finished. There was nothing else to do. He had paid it all. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He was the perfect person. Remember John, uh, the, that is the baptizer in John chapter 1, around verse so 15 or 16, where he, where he talks about, he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he, then he says an interesting thing. Remember, John was born six months before Jesus was. But he says this of Jesus. He says, He who came after me, speaking of Jesus, he was born six months after me. He who came after me existed before me. That is, the Lord Jesus had always existed as God. And John recognized that. The perfect person, fully human, fully God. And the perfect remedy, the cross. Notice the passage from Hebrews 9, 
verses 11 through 15. And again, we, we come back to this contrast with the priests of the Old Testament. It says, When Christ came as high priest, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. Remember, they're killing all these animals and sprinkling the blood and, uh, so that they could approach the holy place. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called, that's the sheep, not the goats, those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Notice, He's the perfect sacrifice. He corresponded to us because he was human, but the thing that made him the perfect sacrifice was that he was perfect. There was no blemish in him. At one point he said to his detractors, who among you can convict me of sin? Point it out. Where is my sin? And there was none. If he had been a sinner himself when he had died on the cross, he'd have just been dying for his own sins. And, of course, he's the perfect substitute because, as we said, he's fully human and yet fully divine, fully God. Now, we see a perfect result flow out of that. What happened at the, uh, at the cross? Remember that... Uh, let's see, let me just erase this best I can. Remember that, at the, uh, that, that there's this huge chasm between God and mankind and sin has uh, sin is the problem that's uh, that's that's what's broken this is sin and so what uh, god has done is he has interposed his son we we try we may try to find all kind of religious ways to ingratiate ourselves with god but nothing nothing works it just doesn't work and so what god did was he sent his son and uh interposed his son on our behalf and bridged the gap between sinful man and holy God. And remember that uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, that, that, uh, that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God. God took all of the sins of all of the sheep, all of God's people, all that sin, and placed that sin on Christ, and Christ died. He was the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice, and all of the righteousness, all of the blessedness, all of the goodness that Jesus himself is, that was imputed to the, uh, to the believer, to the sheep over here. And that's what we talked, that's what the whole book of Romans is all about. And just briefly, because we've talked about this before, we see the perfect result in Christ. We're justified, that is, God declares us to be righteous. Why? Because we're such nice people? No. He declares us to be righteous 
uh, on the basis of the finished work of Christ because, uh, because Christ has borne uh, the penalty of sin and we, God grants us faith and repentance and we're trusting in Christ and all of the righteousness that Jesus is, God clothes his people with that righteousness so that when God looks at us, even though there's a sinner here, he still sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus himself. Justification was one result. Another was propitiation. Remember, we saw that God was wrathful about sin. God would have to be because God's holy. Uh, God, that would be the proper response of holy God against sin. And yet that sin is turned away. It's averted. God's righteous anger was turned away from the sinner to the sinner's perfect substitute who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there's a great passage in, um, in Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 21 through 26 where it says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. Being justified, that is declared righteous, acquitted of our sins, as a gift by His grace through the redemption, that is, God bought us back, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a turning away, a satisfaction for the whole sin question, a propitiation in His blood through faith so that He would be just and the justifier of whom? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. We see that justification, propitiation, redemption, reconciliation, this, this barrier, this barrier that was between God and man is, uh, is broken down through Christ. Christ is the one who bridges this gap. And we know the Father through the Son. Philip says, if you'll just show us the Father, that'll be enough. And Jesus' response was what? Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. In the passage that we just read from Hebrews uh, chapter 1, it says that Christ, that the Son, is the exact representation of the Father. And so we're reconciled. We're brought together. We're no longer separated because of sin. We're brought back together. And reassurance, that is that when God takes us for His own, that he doesn't, He's never going to cast us out. Remember... Go back to that passage in Matthew chapter 25 when God's got the sheep separated from the goats and those on His right hand. What is it that He says? He says, enter into your inheritance. You'll be with me forever. This thing that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It'll never, ever, ever get away. And the perfect response to all of that from God the Father that we've already seen is that He accepted the the son's sacrifice. How do we know that? Because the son was raised from the dead and the son today is seated at the right hand of the father. And that's, uh, uh, that was the perfect response for a father who had been pleased in what his son did. Perfect response from God the Spirit. Notice that last passage down there in uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 11 and following. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And the whole idea here is that we can be sure of, we are, we are secure in the salvation that we have and that we know one day, just as there was a funeral that was breaking up, just as we came to the Bible study today. And they're going to take that person out and, uh, and, and, and put their remains in the cemetery, I'm sure. But one day, the resurrection day, that body will be restored and that body will be reunited with that spirit that's gone on to be with the Lord, assuming that this person was a believer. And, uh, and it'll just be a glorious experience. And God promises that that is true. Praise be to God. So how do we conclude here? I've got about a half a minute to go. It says, uh, just notice your notes there, because of sin, the sinner is not fit, nor can you and I make ourselves fit to approach God who is holy. But the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ accomplished salvation. Notice, what Jesus did didn't make salvation possible. What Jesus did actually accomplished salvation. He cried out on the cross, to Telestai, it's finished. You don't add anything to it. And in fact, all these folks who were his sheep, those are the ones whom God had given faith and repentance and was going to bring to himself. And he does so. God's provided everything that we need and everything that's necessary for life and godliness through knowing him. And Christ's sacrifice was God's perfect provision it was a divine rescue mission that was prepared, planned, not after the fall in the garden, but it was planned before God ever put the first star in space. And if God is able to do all of that, you and I need to learn to trust him with the minutia of the things that are going on in our life. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.